Hey friends, it's Rowan. I just wanted to jump on real quick and say you might hear a small clicking or skipping sound in my microphone this episode. It shouldn't be too disruptive, and in fact, many people may not notice it at all. We had such a fun time with our guest Spencer Stark that we didn't think it was worth scrapping the episode just because the tech gremlins made an appearance. Especially because in this episode, you'll hear an exciting surprise that we've never done on this podcast before. So, thanks for joining us for part three of our series on Pompeii, Herculaneum, and Acts of God. So we've been playing games in the office as like a way of coping with uh, stress <laughs> when we need mm-hmm, to. Mm-hmm. And so we we're talking about like the, the the games that we would play as kids um, yeah. and like how fun, you know, basically like Kerplunk. How are we talking are about Kerplunk? So are we? We're talking about Kerplunk. Okay. You want to you want to you give a rave about Kerplunk? Spencer started the the like tee up to Kerplunk and I just spun out like a crazy little top the first time that <laughs> that we had this conversation. Kerplunk is that game for anyone who doesn't know that was a plastic tube and you would stick all these sticks through holes on each side so they'd make like a little net of sticks and then you'd pour marbles that would be held by the sticks and you have to pull the sticks out and see who messes it up. It is the most satisfying game. <laughs> I think it probably fills that place that is not unlike watching videos of someone popping a zit in a little bit of ways. Okay. I think it okay. probably fills that place of like pickup sticks, but better. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a little bit of Jenga going on. Mm, it's got Jenga energy. Jenga stresses me out. Okay, so, so much. you would not like the game that is our new game that is like Jenga. No, you didn't. <laughs> so I got Kerplunk. I'm holding it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah Spencer is currently holding up Kerplunk. So I found it. I found it on <laughs> oh eBay. Oh my god! It's the old version of Kerplunk. Here's the thing about me: if I went into playing Kerplunk. a game like Kerplunk or or Mega Kerplunk, which I'm sure soon will be invented by uh, Rowan Hall and Spencer Stark. I can only do it if the energy is silly goofy time. If it's oh, competitive, a percent, yes. If it's competitive, I'm not partying. But if it's silly goofy time, I'm so, in. So the cool thing about Kerplunk uh-huh. is that unlike something like Jenga, there isn't a moment where everything falls and you lose immediately. So as like a resolution thing, it isn't like everything's fine until immediately it's not. Okay, instead, see, now I'm way back on board. Right, so yeah. instead, you lose it's like marble a by slow, marble. You lose marble by marble. So, like, you might lose one or two or five, but there's still the mass of them up there. So, you yeah. can have, as like a resolution device, have more than you can have some level of failure without having absolute failure. I can't believe you bought Kerplunk. I stayed as the scream face just sitting here. <laughs> Like yes, Kerplunk is <laughs> is everything. Kerplunk is what Jenga wishes it was. I ag- I actually do agree with that. I fully stand next to Rowan, 
saying it with my whole chest, Kerplunk is what Jenga wishes it was. And it's what I want Jenga yes. to be. The thing that you'll also like is when the marbles fall, they are self-contained in the tube. So it is, it does make noise. It is dramatic, but they're not falling across the whole like table, living room, dining room situation, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is much mm-hmm. better. Yes. No shade to Jenga, but you know, you're not Kerplunk. <laughs> 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 should we do a podcast? Oh, right. No, we yeah, are doing a podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. We are Hi, doing I'm Rowan Hall. Oh, is that what this is? <laughs> Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison. And I'm Spencer Stark. And this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, mythology, and kerplunk that makes the world so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Each week, we research a topic from history or mythology or gaming, and then we write an original story to go along with this topic. So if you'd like to support our show, consider following us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, and we love getting to interact with everyone online. You can also support the show by telling Tracy how amazing she was. The Candela Obscura book's out now. She just got her copy. We're so <laughs> proud of her. Everyone knows she came out and basically had a sleepover party with us mm-hmm. just writing 24-7, which was like the greatest gift in all the world. So it was absolutely incredible. And Okay, so Rowan and Spence both know this because I sent them the video of when I got my She made my me cry. <laughs> I made myself cry. <laughs> I made myself cry and shake. I was genuinely shaking for like an hour afterwards because having gone out there and worked with you guys, um, you know, seeing my work in the book was was so a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Well, hopefully not once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was an incredible experience. <laughs> and the thing that really got me, though, was I remember sitting with you guys in meetings and, and late at night talking about the flourishes in books and talking about the, the, these tiny details that meant so much to you because it represented the details of the world that we were building together. And knowing everything that went on behind the scenes and how much genuine, detailed thought you guys put into this book like I'm going to start tearing up now. I can't, I, I can't talk about it without getting emotional because the love – that is in Candela Obscura cannot be overemphasized. And that comes from your hearts fully. And to have been a part of that and, and and been in that world was incredible. But I got emotional because I know what it took to get from <laughs> Word documents to <laughs> book. Yes. And you guys did that. And that was tr- a, a triumph. I, I'm, I have to stop Thank talking. You. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry. That's so I love you both. And congratulations to the end of the world i mean you just you deserve it i have no words thank you I have no words which is unfortunate for a podcast the limited but. edition <laughs> copy good work is perfect for your living room specifically being green and gold mm-hmm. and the, the happiness that that brings me i cannot overstate <laughs> the fact that it looks good in tracy harrison's living room <laughs> is an achievement <laughs> oh i'm honored oh uh, yeah it fit perfectly on my bookshelf i immediately took a picture of it and i had to include the tarot deck that i bought All while right. i was out there with you guys that, oh yeah uh, it was an Art Nouveau tarot deck because we were working on Candela and it was actually for a game we were going to play. That's my fun little behind the scenes secret of that tarot deck. We bought that for oh, a game. Yeah, we a game played. we hacked yeah. a lot. You know. Oh, hey, the other way that you can support the podcast is by supporting the people who support us. It's a lot of support going all the way around. Head over to greenleafgeek.com. I don't know if you guys know, we've partnered with Leah for a very, very long time because she is arguably the best person in the TTRPG community. Yep. She has made us more than a few custom sets of dice. Yes. I I think 
the majority of dice I've ever given to people are from Green Leaf Geek. Absolutely. Oh, I always buy dice from Leah because she has the best curated collections. But then if you need something really special, you can get special custom dice for her. And I know multiple people in my life who have now got custom Leah dice for their characters. Okay, hear me out. Shop her curated collection, get a bunch of really cool dice, and then just put them away in a drawer. And when you get invited somewhere and it you find out it's someone's birthday way too late or you need like a housewarming thing, then you have really amazing cool dice just on hand. Yes. Did I tell you a fun fact? Um, I have one of Leah's sets of dice at work. And when we need to take turns doing something at work, <laughs> someone else and I started having us roll for initiative. And that's been really fun. That's so good. <laughs> it's been entertaining. Oh, I'm taking that to work with me. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to like, if you need to give updates or, or shake up a meeting or just make people <laughs> laugh, make them roll to do stuff. Hey, guys. We're going to shake up this meeting. Everyone roll a d20. Yep. Add your modifier. <laughs> that was the joke we were making. We're like, oh, we need to figure out everyone's modifiers. Modifier minus one for tired. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, hey, if you want to roll for initiative at your job, head over to greenleafgeek.com. And when you do, use the code FABLE, that's F-A-B-L-E, for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. Or you can support our show by wearing friendship bracelets <gasps> with all your besties. <laughs> Let's see if I can get one. We all three held up our, our beaded BFF bracelets. But no matter what you do, we're just happy to have you here. So Spencer and I went to Big Bad Con and we were on a panel about leading a TTRPG project. And a, a lot mm -hmm. of friends of ours were also on the panel. Anthony, who wrote for Candela... Everyone's giving such good, such stalwart adult advice. And Spencer and I are sitting up there like, you should get everybody on your team friendship bracelets because it'll make everybody happy. <laughs> yes. And I stand by that. Espouse the benefits of friendship bracelets and of, of laying on the floor while you work. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Nothing better. It's. I mm -hmm. honestly think adults just want fruit snacks, friendship bracelets, yes. and something else with yes. an F. Floor time. time. Oh, my God. Floor I'm time. so sorry. I dropped the ball. <laughs> Fruit snacks, friendship bracelets, and floor time. Oh, man. All right. Really um, now we need matching T-shirts that say Spencer? that. Spencer? <laughs> it's, it's the thing, and thing, and thing. You know, yes. we like the mm -hmm. T-shirts that have the list yes. that are ands. Yeah, Spencer came up with the funniest phrase, and now we all say it, and I guess someone's going to have to beat me out, but it's, it's not buck up buttercup. It's f*** it up buttercup. I love that. That's the energy I want to bring into every day. I, don't you just imagine a little t-shirt with just a little bunny with a flower in its mouth? And it's so cute. Oh, a little and daisy then underneath, for sure. Wouldn't it be a buttercup though? <laughs> like a little, yeah, a little buttercup. <laughs> yeah. But but what it what it means for us, what's come to mean for us <laughs> is when somebody's like, okay, I have a I have a bad pitch. Oh, f it up, Buttercup. Right? Yeah, yeah man. Like, yeah. Like, like, yeah, just go for it. Like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about being bad. Like, just go. Oh, if you're I... like, okay, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to try it. It's like, yeah, yeah, f it up, Buttercup. Or when you're at the TTRPG table and someone's like, oh, I don't think I should make this roll. You're like, no, 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 no. F it up, Buttercup. F it up, Buttercup. Yes. That's the new do it for the plot, but in a supportive way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So. Oh, incredible. I'm, I'm going to... 
say that at work and then everyone's going to be like, excuse me? You're like, yeah, I, j- I just said buck up, buttercup. I'm mean. Grr. Yeah, I said what I said. <laughs> okay, speaking of the plot, what's the plot? We're on part three of this series on Pompeii and Herculaneum and now and natural, natural disasters. disasters. Acts of God. Uh, times that a god said, fuck it up, buttercup. <laughs> and now it's spencer's turn take it over it is uh so we're gonna talk about three acts of god that i think are fascinating um the first one we're gonna talk about is the lake neos disaster is something any of you have heard of yeah because you told me about it for the first time and it rocked my whole boat i'm just insane and already know about this (laughs) (laughs) the best okay so it's august 21st 1986 In the African country of Cameroon, early in the morning before the sun has come up, a light drizzle starts coming down from the sky. But something is strange here. Looking up at the moon, you realize there are no clouds in the sky. How could it be raining without clouds? How could it be raining without clouds? Hey, I have a quick question. Sure. Um, How can it be raining without clouds? That's the question. (laughs) That's the question we all want to know the answer to. And before you realize what's happening... You feel yourself out of breath, like you've been running for miles, but you've only been standing still. You look around and see others, people, and livestock on the ground struggling. They take breath after breath, but are still suffocating, just like you. And that's the last thing you see as your legs go weak, your vision goes blurry, and all goes black. That's terrifying. That really is. Terrifying. 1,700 people, 3,500 livestock, over 90% of those who live in this region fallen dead without warning or explanation. This is the Lake Neos disaster. I just didn't know that it was 90% of the people that live there. I knew it was a major disaster on the lake. Yes, 90% of the people that live there. What's going on with that 10% that made them impervious? Do they just carry extra? Oh. Really? We're going to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, I mean, we're going to cover a little bit. Like, there are there are certain. Uh, we, yeah, we'll 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 jump into it. So, Cameroon is a country that borders the Gulf of Guinea, southeast of Nigeria, home to one of Africa's oldest forests, known as the Korup National Park, and also a now infamous place called Lake Neos, where this event took place. Uh, Neos is a deep crater lake that sits on top of an inactive volcano. Because of this, below the surface of the lake boils a pocket of magma that is leaking a steady stream of carbon dioxide. And that carbon dioxide builds up in the cold, deep water held down by the warmer water above like a cork in a bottle. So essentially, it's like leaking this carbon dioxide and being shoved down because uh-huh. of the warm water, which is so wild. And Something here about a metaphor with me and negative emotions. Right. Yep. Oh, uh-huh. no. Yep. Uh, oh, Tracy, art reflects no. life. Life reflects art. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> This isn't art. Yep. This is science. <laughs> uh, As we know, science never reflects art nor life. No. <laughs> uh, on August 21st, 1986, that cork popped. The carbon dioxide exploded out of the lake at a high velocity, shooting a column of water 330 feet up in the air. And because carbon dioxide is heavier than oxygen, this became what was essentially an invisible tidal wave that spread over the surrounding villages in the early morning while most people were still asleep, suffocating them. Since discovering what happened, scientists now vent the lake with a 670-foot pipe that reaches the bottom of the lake and allows the carbon dioxide to escape so that it doesn't overflow again. Wait, all the time? They vent it all the time now because it because otherwise it will just continue to build up. I think it's probably like 
periodically, but they yeah, will just okay. go in and vent this lake so that this explosion of carbon dioxide doesn't like erupt suddenly like a geyser. And then, I mean, if we think about it, right, it's basically an invisible version of a volcano because it's like yeah. erupting up and then spreading out. So we're talking about the 90% of people that that died um as that cloud came down and over the over the 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 village the thought is that like it pooled in places where there were dips. Oh. So like the okay. people that were living higher up in the village mm-hmm. they didn't get it as bad so or they weren't stay. as affected, right? It didn't stay where it sat. It literally like went down into the valley and then just sat. And it was an invisible cloud of gas. So like you wouldn't see anything. Oh, my God. Literally nothing to see. Just you breathe and there's no oxygen in the See, that's an old God, right? You know, if you live back in the time before major light pollution, back before all the modern malarkey, that's an old God. Well, and this is in 1986, right? So, like, we have records of this because yeah, but it's so it modern. has to but have done it you can before. Only imagine then. it have happened. Right. That's what yes. I'm thinking. Like, it had to have happened but so many times I, before. It has to be infrequently happening enough that there isn't enough. Like, people haven't built yeah. up that region. Oh, don't right. Go there's there, no don't lore. live there. It's not safe there. Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. why. Or maybe there is. Maybe there is. But lore. here's the thing this is how yeah, lore keeps us safe. It's like gossip, but better because yes. it's, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to have lore, which means you got to make your own personal lore or, you know, bad things could happen. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Make, make your own personal lore. For, for safety. safety. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the, the Lake Neos disaster is one of those things that still sits with me because it, the fact that it's invisible and it just spread like in the night and just Mm-hmm. killed you know what was it 35 or no 1700 people 3500 livestock like it's uh, th- there would be no explanation for it before modern science and Absolutely. so it would feel quite literally like an act of of god um yeah which which is so neat uh okay we have another one to jump into i know that we're uh, uh, the Carrington event is something that you both have probably heard of as well, but we're going to chat about it because it's We're just wild. both sagely nodding. Um, <laughs> we're yes, like, mm, yes. Uh-huh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about the, uh, what I what I put in the, in the script is like the ominously named the Carrington event, which feels science fiction. It is. Just a name. It's, it's I'm sorry, not name. to fully derail us, but I just want to acknowledge that in no. the previous two episodes, we... The the owner operators of this podcast were like Spencer, you also still have to research. And then in this episode, Tracy and I did nothing to help Spencer. <laughs> so true. No, 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 no. This Calling is my jam. Absolutely, this is my jam. Sorry, it just I'm hit here. me like Do not a, be sorry. a flood this is of my carbon dioxide. Oh, we're so happy to have you here, Spencer. <laughs> no, it's so fun. Uh, I mean, it's terrifying and awful, but also it, it's old gods. It's old gods. Uh, Spencer, you're like, if you had to hold up two hands, it would be like terrifying and awful. And uh, uh, I love it. And it's fun. And like, put your hands together. And that is Spencer Stark. <laughs> we just like, need it together. Like a little, like a little scary bread. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're just a scary, scary bread. 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 Like the Rainbow Dough breads where you can see how it got kneaded together. They're my favorite. Oh, uh, yeah. I love favorite. those. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Back on track from the Rainbow Bread to the Carrington event. Uh, uh-huh. To understand this event, we first have to understand a little bit about solar storms. So to quote the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, quote, solar radiation storms occur when a large-scale magnetic eruption, often causing a coronal mass ejection and associated solar flare, accelerates charged particles in the solar atmosphere to very high velocities. The most important particles are protons, which can get accelerated to large fractions of the speed of light. At these velocities, the protons can traverse the 150 million kilometers from Sun to Earth in just tens of minutes or less. When they reach Earth, the fast-moving protons penetrate the magnetosphere that shields Earth from lower energy charged particles. Once inside the magnetosphere, the particles are guided down the magnetic field lines and penetrate into the atmosphere near the north and south poles. That's terrifying. So, and it's a lot of science, but it is wild that these things are traveling in 10 minutes or less. No, it's tens of minutes. So next time I'm running late, I'm going to say I'll be there in tens of minutes. Tens of minutes. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Tens, I'll be there in tens of minutes. Tens be, of minutes. Could be 10, could I be 20, that. could be 30. Uh who knows? Depends Certainly on the speed. Me. But they're also like just protons, right? They're just like like tiny, tiny particles. But solar radiation storms can cause several impacts near Earth. Um, this is continue, continuing the quote. Solar radiation storms cause several impacts near Earth. When energetic protons collide with satellites or humans in space, they can penetrate deep into the object that they collide with and cause damage to electronic circuits or biological DNA. During the more extreme solar radiation storms, passengers and crew in high-flying aircraft at high latitudes may be exposed to radiation risk. Also, when the energetic protons collide with the atmosphere, they ionize the atoms and molecules, thus creating free electrons. These electrons create a layer near the bottom of the ionosphere that can absorb high-frequency radio waves, making radio communication difficult or impossible. Okay, all of that is going to apply here, which is why we had such Mm -hmm. a long quote. But, like, these things, f*** it up, buttercup. Right? Like, they just (laughs) really mess everything up. Uh, Yeah. And these aren't, like, super rare events. Like, like, there there are solar radiation storms happening all the time on the sun, right? Yes, but not of this magnitude. Not of the magnitude. Biological DNA is also Um, a very chill way to say living person or animal or plant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So in 1859, we had the worst geomagnetic solar storm in recorded history. The coronal mass ejection, or CME, as it's abbreviated by scientists, came hurtling towards the Earth at an incredible speed. It only took a little under 18 hours to reach the Earth from the sun, where normally a CME would take a few days to get here. Scientists theorized that a previous CME might have cleared the way of ambient solar wind plasma that normally would slow down the ejection on its journey 93 million miles across the solar system. So essentially, like, there was a previous one. Mm -hmm. And so that, like, knocked all the stuff out of the way. The the theory is it knocked all the stuff out of the way. So then the (gasps) next one, which was bigger, didn't run into all of these, like, you know, uh, all this like solar resistance wind plasma. I, yeah. I get that ambient solar wind plasma is a thing. I understand what it means, but 
Yeah. The cognitive <laughs> dissonance. Yeah. Between those four words yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ambient solar wind plasma. The sun's got a lot of stuff going on. It's got honestly. Well, yes, it has a lot of it's stuff. It's got going like on. the 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 things smashing together, creating little explosions and fusion and fission happening all the time. And so then you get that plasma, which is a weird state of matter that doesn't make sense. And then it's just wibbly wobbling going around. And then I guess this just <laughs> this said it up buttercup and went <laughs> right on through. Like there was yeah, like if we imagine, you know, uh sort of like uh this is a bad a bad metaphor but like it's essentially like an ocean of waves yeah. right and like yeah. when something hits the ocean it slows down because it has to like if it's going underwater or like it hits the water it has to slow and then essentially some other powerful uh cme like if a giant squid came by uh -huh. and ate all the little fishes <laughs> right. And all the little critters, I don't know, they eat plankton now too. Or just cleared the ocean like like Moses parting the Red Sea, right? And yeah. so all of a sudden, instead of hitting water and slowing slowing down, uh, it just continued straight through to the earth and it can't, got here in 18 hours as opposed to, um, you know, a couple of days. Uh, yeah. It would be an incredible amount of force that's hitting the yeah. earth in a way that would take essentially two impossible events happening one after the other to achieve. It's one of those worst case scenario situations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but over time, right, all probability, probability doesn't matter over time. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. you have any yeah. length of time, probability becomes unimportant because it will inevitably happen. So I th we think we as like collective humanity, but like scientists think that's probably what happened here. So when it hit Earth, a few incredible things happened. The first is that a massive aurora appeared across the night sky, lighting it up like nothing people of that time had ever seen. According to Scientific American, these auroras, quote, turn night to day as far south as Panama. People could read the newspaper by their crimson and green light. <gasps> Gold miners in the Rocky Mountains woke up and ate breakfast at 1 a.m., thinking the sun had risen on a cloudy day. No, no, bad. Oh, that's so, I mean, that's bad. That wild? From a storytelling perspective, <sighs> incredible. If you live to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm imagining this in a fictional world. <laughs> right. Fictional, fictional. In our world, bad. Fictional world, also bad, very, but fictional. Very cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I found this awesome account from an Australian gold miner uh, who said, quote, I was gold digging at Rokewood, about four miles from Rokewood Township, which is Victoria. Myself and two mates looking out of the tent saw a great reflection in the southern heavens at about 7 o'clock p.m. And in about half an hour, a scene of almost unspeakable beauty presented itself. Light of every imaginable color were issuing from the southern heavens, one color fading away only to give place to another, if possible, more beautiful than the last. The streams mounting to the zenith, but always becoming a rich purple when reaching there, and always curling round, leaving a clear strip of sky, which may be described as four fingers held at arm's length. Hmm. So there was like That's a thick. clear strip and then there were like just this impossible, this impossible painting. It sounds so beautiful and I'm so scared because it can't mean 
good things. Also, I am going to need you to go back and reread that whole thing with the Australian accent, please. Um, Thank yeah, you. Sorry. For the I gotta, authenticity. I got to do it. Yep. No, only yeah. only, only option we have. Uh, no, but like also finding, <laughs> I was like, I have to go find uh, some sort of account from somebody because I need to know. And so when I ran across the Australian gold miner who had like this beautiful. Who missed their calling as a poet I because know. that's a beautiful description. Beautiful description. Anyway, I couldn't even imagine like the the saying at seven o'clock uh or seven thirty, i guess it, it it showed up and so um anyway the aurora sort of um uh you know faded into the sky i guess and then all of a sudden uh, around the world like it was obviously different times but like around the world different people saw it at, at different times so uh, like the gold miners in the rocky mountains woke up at 1 a.m right <laughs> the people in <Wild>. australia <laughs> saw it at 7 p.m. So right. And and all of this is, you know, reporting from um, 1859. So uh, I, I always take all of it with a little bit of a grain of salt just because we don't know how, and especially in the next one we'll talk about. But like just to think about all these people seeing the same event at different times, uh, right. but the same time, but all over the world. It's wild. It's interesting to think about people seeing this too before we had movies today where we can just vfx beautiful crazy skies and aliens and stuff seeing that rainbow effect yeah must have been even more impactful right i mean an act of god right like you would see it and be like there is something way bigger than we are up there uh which is wild um the second thing that happened was that it deeply affected telegraph machines so oh. many of them gave their operators a sharp shock on their hands, and some of them literally threw sparks. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, so cool. Uh, but the most wild of all, and the thing that made me so excited about this in particular, was that some of them continued to be able to send messages back and forth, despite their power supply being completely disconnected. <sighs> So the telegraphs were essentially running on power that was being transmitted through the air. So I have a conversation that was recorded between an operator in Boston, Massachusetts and an operator in Portland, Maine that recorded this event happening in real time. And I would love for the two of you to read this. I so, want to uh, be Portland. You want to be Portland? But you can, can you do the Boston no. accent? No. Okay. Well, That's we, why I no want to be Portland. Accents, Boston. <laughs> Boston <laughs> operator, Portland operator. Uh, so we're going to start with the Boston operator to the Portland operator, which I think uh, Tracy's going to be you if you want to. Yeah, apologies because I don't think I can do Don't the do the Boston accent. accent. No, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Please cut off your battery power source entirely for 15 minutes. Sorry. Uh, are we being men? Are these men? They're not women, right? Do we want to yassify them? We can yassify you them. You can do whatever you want. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> okay, <Can> Tracy. <laughs> yassify it. <laughs> Please cut. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Please cut off your battery power source entirely for 15 minutes. Will do so. It is now disconnected. Mine is disconnected, and we are working with the auroral current. How do you receive my writing? Better than with our batteries on. Current comes and goes gradually. My current is very strong at times, and we can work better without the batteries, as the aurora seems to neutralize and augment our batteries alternately, making current too strong at times for our relay magnets. Suppose we work without the batteries while we are affected by this trouble. Very well. Shall I go ahead with business? Yes. 
Go ahead. They were like, we're not, we just have to unplug our devices because they are <laughs> overpowered. We're just going to work off of the electricity that's traveling through the atmosphere. It's incredible. <laughs> it's, first of all, it destroys my entire degree, which is turn it off and turn it on. Right. Yes. So, it really does. It destroys all IT. Uh, yeah. 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 Everything <laughs> I was taught, gone, ruined. Uh, and I love it. They're like, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's too powerful. Turn it off. We'll just work with the, we're going to do, we're going to run on auroral power. <laughs> right? They were like, no, we can't. We, we have to unplug the batteries because otherwise the current is too like unregulated. Uh, what is it? Dysregulated or whatever? Like, yeah. Anyway. It no, it made me say something harder than that. It makes me want to uh, do. As the aurora seems to neutralize and augment our batteries alternately. It makes yes. me want to invent a fictional place where things run on auroral power. I'm telling you, this is like the most inspirational episode. I'm like, when are we getting together and making this? I want to I want to create this world. It's like the free energy that Tesla was always talking about. Yes. Right? Oh my god, that's exactly what this is. Like I would not be surprised if there was inspiration from things like this. Uh, in in that, do you think there were a lot of experiments done after this to try to recreate the power? Oh, of the I'm auroras? sure. I can only imagine there had to be. So my biggest takeaway from all of this for me is that if this were to happen again in modern times, scientists have said it would completely disrupt our daily lives. Now that literally everything runs on a power grid. Mm -hmm. And it's not like power outages that happen normally. This would be extended and widespread blackouts that would affect almost the entire world at once. So in their paper titled Solar Storm Risk to North American Electric Grid, the team at the Atmospheric and Environmental Research Group said, quote, the total U.S. population at risk of extended power outage from a Carrington-level storm is between 20 to 40 million with durations of 16 days to one to two years. The duration of outages will depend largely on the availability of spare replacement transformers. If new transformers need to be ordered, the lead time is likely to be a minimum of five months. The total economic cost for such a scenario is estimated at 0.6 to 2.6 trillion dollars USD. That's a lot of money. I wonder how many people died because of various things that were affected by this. Like the, the auxiliary deaths. I, we don't, uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have those numbers, but I think it's in the very least like the the amount of electricity that was traveling through the air also traveled through people's bodies right mm -hmm. so like in areas that weren't as affected you could do this transmission but i can only imagine there are places where people just like got electrocuted but also if there were power outages how many hospitals were affected et cetera, et cetera. right i wonder what the hair day was like i know that's i'm sorry i know that's petty but i do wonder <laughs> what the frizz situation was because the hair dryers with the ion, whatever, makes your hair smoother. But I don't think that this is a hair smoothing experience. No, no, I could, I, I would imagine not. I mean, it's 1859 when this happened, right? So like you two would probably know better than I would. But like the amount of electricity that's being used. Minimal. Minimal. Is minimal. But not non-existent. But not non-existent. So it would mm -hmm. be, it would affect the things that were electric, but not affect daily life in the way it would now. Right. Like if we're talking, yeah. you know, complete like outages for 16 days to one to two years, like if there's a 
if there's a an area of the U.S. that was hit strongest by this, like th- they would just not have internet mm-hmm. or home power for a year. I don't know longer? if our infrastructure could handle it better now. I would be interested. Probably not. It's something that uh, tech people talk a lot about of like how do you prevent against that and protect it. Uh, hopefully we can resist it better. But what this made me think of is have you guys heard of the South Atlantic anomaly? No. Which is considered the Bermuda Triangle of space. <gasps> no. Okay, get ready. I just had to quickly Google it. Yeah, so apologies because this was not researched in advance. No, it's no, just no, something no, that this I is awesome. <laughs> saw in a YouTube video once, I think. So the South Atlantic anomaly, I'm at space.com. We'll share a link in the um in our credits so you guys can check out this article too. But they say the Bermuda Triangle of Space, or the South Atlantic Anomaly, as it is formally known, lies above the South Atlantic, stretching from Chile to Zimbabwe. It sits at the point where the inner Van Allen radiation belt comes closest to Earth's surface. Here, Earth's magnetic field is particularly weak. Mm. So higher amounts of radiation affect the spacecraft's onboard electronic systems, and this dent in the magnetic field is actually moving westward and splitting into two. And when people are doing trips around the Earth, they're orbiting, they have to account for that they're going to run into this area wow. and that none of their tech is going to work and they're basically like they might have to shut down and float through it they might have to put extra protection around but it could get into the ship and the radiation could actually ruin the machines and they have to know that this anomaly this bermuda triangle exists in this stretch the of the billionaires world. are going to be really affected wild. by that <laughs> <laughs> they they may be but uh also they can be affected by it. I don't care about them. I do care about the scientists. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I want, I want better for them. Yeah, right. No, that's so cool. Yeah. So that just when we were talking about this, this happening now, I'm like, wait, I've heard of something like this happening, yeah. and it's the South Atlantic anomaly. So wild. Well, hopefully, hopefully, it doesn't happen again. Again, it was a it, scientists think it was two incredibly unlikely events happening at the same time or right around each other that caused it to occur. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it could just deeply, like destroy everything uh for for a large population of people so um absolutely wild okay the last one we're going to talk about is the tunguska incident again such a cool name (laughs) such a cool name Uh, you guys can't see rowan doing a little dance sorry i was dancing like we were at the club Yeah. I love this. <laughs> That's how you get me and Rowan to do a dance like we're at a club. You don't take us to a club. You talk about the, fun history and mythology. The Tunguska incident. <laughs> well, speaking of history and mythology, this is, out of the three, this is the one that probably has the least concrete information Delicious. About it. Mm-hmm. So it's still a little bit of a mystery. Uh, there's it. lots of theories behind it, but, um, but it doesn't... <laughs> Rowan doing the... What I was think that? that's the, a sprinkler. Uh, the sprinkler. Sprinkler. <laughs> Uh, it's the spr- sprinkler. I'm a big fan of the grocery cart shopping. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Monster mash. Okay. So on the morning of June 30th, 1908 in Siberia, Russia, there was a mysterious bluish light about the brightness of the sun cascading across the sky and leaving a small trail in its wake. According to observers in the hills of Lake Baikal, upon its collision with the earth, There was a bright explosion, a billowing cloud of smoke, followed by a pillar of fire. The pillar then split in two and dissolved, becoming black. Then, about ten minutes later, they were hit with the sound of heavy artillery fire 
that knocked people off their feet and shattered windows. Okay, that's that is a, an angry demon. That is that's him teleporting and visiting or something. I mean, that is like an ex- a pillar of fire that split that was split into and then became black. Like I could only and then it takes 10 minutes. I've played this video game. I fought this guy. <laughs> right, right. I, I mean, that is like a I swear to God, this sounds like a cutscene <laughs> from like God of War, right? Like Yes. Yeah. And I buried the lead here a little because if you're imagining that those people who were observing what they were seeing from this from maybe a few miles out, you might be confused why it took 10 minutes for the sound of whatever happened to reach them. If the mm-hmm. reporting here is accurate, then these observers would have seen all of this happen from around 550 miles away from the crash site. So that would be like being on the most eastern end of New York City and watching all this happen in Columbus, Ohio. Aliens. Aliens. It was so huge. Uh, That that hopefully puts the size and scale of the explosion in a new perspective. Because the Tunguska incident is the largest impact event in recorded history, estimated at 12 megatons. I knew it was big. I knew it was big. I didn't. I'm still processing because it takes, I mean, just let's say you're driving from New York to Columbus, Ohio, at least 10 hours. Right. 550 miles. Uh, too big. Put it too back. Too big. Too big. Uh, Put it back. The event <laughs> flattened over 80 million trees, covering 2,200 square kilometers. For reference, the explosion was about a thousand times more powerful than the atomic bomb that was dropped in Hiroshima during World War II. So it was quite literally astronomical. And we're very <laughs> lucky that it happened to fall in a portion of the globe where there just aren't as many people. Right. I can't stop thinking about this. Like, because you're right. This th- this happened where there's not a lot of people. The last, you know, the, the big event happened when we didn't have that much technology to destroy. Yeah. Why are we still lucky and when is it happening? Yes, I know, right? Well, and, I'll, and I have a little further down in the research, the size in comparison to other things. So we will get there. But just know that like this thing, I mean, imagine being 500 miles away from a thing and seeing literally a cloud of a pillar of fire and smoke. I mean, it had to have been so large that it literally, uh, it, it, the curvature of the earth was not enough to hide it, right? How did people uh, feel uh, about uh, aliens in 1908? Was that a thing that it people had to have been right because we've concerned about? Yeah, 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 yeah. People, I think people were. They definitely, I would imagine, thought about extraterrestrial life. It was the the 40s and 50s and 60s when it really became a boom with the the Roswell and the abduction of. Um, the couple whose name I don't yeah, remember. Uh, oh God. We're not I... alien people just by nature, but if I saw something that big falling from space, I'd consider it for sure. One time I was I was laying in my backyard uh, in high school and I was looking up and I saw a uh, I saw uh, what looked like a star, but it was slowly moving and then it would flash and then disappear and then flash and disappear and flash and disappear. And I was like, I just saw an alien. Uh, then I went on Google and discovered that uh, it was a satellite that was spinning mm-hmm. and reflecting the mm-hmm. sun. And I was like, still really cool. Honestly, Not alien, I'm kind of bummed so for cool. you that you figured that out. Like, how nice would it have been to live in that for just a little bit? I've got one for you. I still, to this day, don't. This isn't my. This isn't my story. But I have an uncle who insists 
he saw aliens. God, yes, tell us everything right now. Uh, I'll reach out to him and ask for details because he's told it my whole life. And eventually we've all gotten to the point where we're like, okay, yeah, Uncle Jim, we get it. He saw an alien. Uh, but <laughs> he says he was he was driving home. And I remember he says he saw something on the side of the road. It was him and a few other people got out of their cars. And there was this big cylindrical thing that was glowing. And he said he felt really weird. I, I don't remember. Sorry, Uncle Jim, if you're listening to this and I'm getting the details wrong. But – he said he felt really weird and then I think he got in his car and he – I think like there was like a time skip or something where he just – Yes, good. This, this, this family man from New Jersey insists anytime this kind of topic comes up, he's like, well, you know, I saw aliens. And like there was the alien that I saw and like the alien ship that me and a bunch of other people saw. Did he see an alien or did he just see an alien ship? Ship. I believe it was just the ship. I don't know if he saw a little green How man. How audacious of me to be like, was it really the <laughs> <laughs> biologic alien or was it just mm-hmm. the spaceship? Yeah. Are we talking about what the U.S. government has revealed or what the Mexican government has revealed? Okay. <laughs> Where are we landing? I, I think that the, the idea that something extraterrestrial came from space and crash landed on Earth has probably existed for as long as humans have been around in some respect uh because space is big. of events like this honestly like things yeah. that just came from space and they're like that has to be either a god or some other living being. one of my favorite parts about lake baikal is it's so gosh darn deep and there have been scary yes. things like that happening around there that people are like oh yeah the aliens just go there and they take their ships down and they just live under there Mm-hmm. I talked about it in my episode on Lake Baikal. People were like, oh, yeah, we saw some oh, lights. We so we did a little yeah. dive and we saw some aliens. Like, okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Great. Uh, so there are a few eyewitness reports from close yes! to the glass. So most of them are in old Russian newspapers. Uh, so I had to go find old Russian newspapers that somebody had translated. Uh, and this one is from somebody with the last name Semenov. And was collected by Russian mineralogist Leonid Kulik during his expedition in 1930. Sorry if, if any of those names are pronounced incorrectly, those who speak Russian. Uh, I was sitting here being like, wow, I'm so <laughs> impressed. Spencer crushed it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Rowan, do you want to read this for us? This quote from Leonid, or from, uh, not from Leonid Kulik, uh, it's from Semenov. I suddenly saw that directly to the north, over the Onkul's Tunguska Road, the sky split in two and fire appeared high and wide over the forest. As Semenov showed about 50 degrees up, expedition note. The split in the sky grew larger and the entire northern side was covered with fire. At that moment, I became so hot that I couldn't bear it, as if my shirt was on fire. From the northern side where the fire was came strong heat. I wanted to tear off my shirt and throw it down, but then the sky shut closed and a strong thump sounded and I was thrown a few meters. I lost my senses for a moment, but then my wife ran out and led me to the house. After that, such noise came as if rocks were falling or cannons were firing. The earth shook and when I was on the ground, I pressed my head down, fearing rocks would smash it. When the sky opened up, Hot wind raced between the houses, like from cannons, which left traces in the ground like pathways, and it damaged some crops. Later, we saw that many windows were shattered, and in the barn, a part of the iron lock snapped. Wild. Yeah. Okay, my guy. It 
It actually reminds me of the descriptions we read for Pompeii. Yeah, yeah. doesn't it? Good job, Spencer. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> in in 1930. You know, like it's just only what uh, I mean. It was it was some time. It was. Uh, uh, 22 years afterwards. So figure there, you know, there is some level of story of, of remembering the story and, and, but mm-hmm. still, despite all that, to have a firsthand account of the event and to hear like just the phrase, like when uh, this, the split in the sky grew larger mm-hmm. is so cool. And the thing I keep having to remind myself is that, at that time, people who had not seen war had not seen war. So we today sit around and we're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen footage of bombs dropping or I'm familiar with what that might be like. But to have no idea of what it could be, something like that, and then be in the middle of it must be an entirely different mm-hmm. experience. I mean, that's why footage was so effective during Vietnam, but that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> uh, well, the perhaps the most mysterious part and the thing that has led to lots of conspiracy theories around this yes! is that all eyewitness descriptions point to this being a meteoric impact, but there was no meteor <laughs> to be found. Part! And there was no impact crater left at the site. There was no sign of anything hitting the earth that would have caused the destruction. Oh, it's so good. How many websites did you go on that were black with green font? Oh, so many. Uh, oh, good. So many just to find mm-hmm. like all the different conspiracy theories. But oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to squash any kind of doubt, scientists have lots of theories about how something like this might have happened. So while it's weird, it's not unexplainable because science. But I can only imagine at the time, right? They're like, what happened here? Like we saw something fall and then nothing. There's nothing. But that's crazy. There's not an impact no. site. And they saw all the debris coming down, which would indicate something falling and hitting, but but nothing fell and hit. All the trees were just destroyed. F- flattened, but nothing yeah. there. In basically a circle, effectively. Right. It was like a <sighs> giant crop circle. <sighs> this is such a cool episode. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so the current leading theory is what is known as a meteor airburst. So that's when an asteroid explodes above the Earth's surface rather than striking it. Okay. So in order to cause the kind of damage it did, they think the asteroid must have been about 160 to 200 feet in size, moving at 60,000 miles Oof. per hour. So 60,000 miles per hour for reference is about the speed that the Earth rotates around the sun. So that's a 20-story building. That's how fast we rotate? Coming straight at the Earth at literally galactic speed. I, I didn't know we rotated oh. that quickly. Yeah. No, we learned too fast in that sentence. Uh-huh. Huh? <laughs> so, so there's a 20-story building that's coming at the Earth at 60,000 miles per hour, and then at between three and six miles from the Earth's surface, and within the lowest layer of our atmosphere, called the troposphere, the asteroid broke into pieces, causing the explosion of air that leveled almost 1,400 square miles. So this is a map of the size of the blast compared to Los Angeles for reference. I made this using a a, a, a website that allows you to like map. You made uh, us a map? Basically like, yeah, I made you a map. Made and I, a map. I, so I, I did 1,400 square miles and I put it compared to Los Angeles so you could see how much was completely leveled. I was actually going to ask if there was a way to see this. this, So this is perfect and insanely huge. Real quick, I feel about like 
you making us a map the way I think some kids feel if you make them a cootie catcher in elementary school. I'm like, oh my gosh, you made us a map. <laughs> so this is fucked up, Buttercup. Yeah. It's, it is, you guys. It's from huge. Santa Clarita so to big. Long Beach, from Santa Monica to almost Ontario, if you drop that over Southern California. Yeah. If that means nothing to you yeah, if rest- you're not in the area or haven't – if you're not a map person. But it's all of LA plus a lot. Yes. It's the entire city of That's Los what Angeles. I'm saying. Almost all of Los We're Angeles We're so County. lucky that it fell in Siberia. Why? I mean, there doesn't have to be a why, right? That's not – I mean, I'm not seriously asking why. We don't have to go, like, full conspiracy on that. But, like <laughs> – in the way that we're discussing this from an acts of God perspective, it is a perfectly valid question, yeah. I yeah. think, to look at that and be like, why not all of the population centers? Why the spookiest right. ice crypt of the world? <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of ice crypt, there is other speculation that the asteroid might have been made primarily of ice, which could explain why there are not large meteorite oh. fragments found around the crash site. That makes sense. Because if it was ice, it would have exploded and then fell the earth and then melted. Or just looked like ice that was part of ice that was amongst more Siberian ice. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they think that it could be, it could be, you know, a, a giant ice chunk, essentially. Um, which I'm not, I am I also think that there's a world in which, like, ice and rock, uh, right? All could, yeah, like, I feel it could like all if it was exist. ice shards, though, if you imagine that circle, I can imagine monolithic shards of ice. So it's still kind of bonkers to me. Yeah. That everything just evaporated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, other scientists also argue that, like, one of the bigger chunks of the meteor, if it was a meteor that broke up, might have been responsible for creating a crater that developed into a nearby lake. So it was so far away from mm. the central area when it exploded that we were like, there was nothing. And it's like, well, there, it might, there might have been something. It just was so big that it exploded right. in such a large radius that there was no central crater site like we would expect from a meteor. Instead, there were lots of smaller craters that were made smaller, <laughs> quote unquote. One was enough to make the si- enough to make a lake, right? So, like, right. not that small, but like small enough that we wouldn't recognize it as the main. I feel like they would have noticed center. if a giant lake crater appeared. I mean, I know it takes a minute to become a lake, but still. Well, but also. Maybe they didn't if it's so uninhabited. It's far away. By the time you've explored it, it's a lake. Or maybe the people who noticed all were people whose opinions and histories weren't taken seriously. Right. Yeah, that's very likely. Or they could have been impacted by the event, too. This is making me want to watch The X-Files so badly. (laughs) Seriously. It it, it is making me want to, like, create a game or a book or something with, like, all of these events happening. Yeah, it's so neat. Well, it reminds me a little bit of like Fringe, the the, the TV yes, show Fringe. Yes, it's yes. it's giving the ice melts and then the the extraterrestrial beings come out of the ice. Right, right. Um, well, to sort of just put a button on this, there is a more recent study uh, that ran a model of the event using okay. computers and they concluded that another likely cause of an event like this could have been an asteroid that just had a glancing blow with Earth's atmosphere and then returned to space. Cool. 
It can be that devastating? <laughs> so if you think about like the earth is a sphere, right? So something could come at the earth like f- close enough to cause close enough to like get within our atmosphere and then continue out the other side. Yeah, it clipped us it and clipped broke us. apart most of Russia. Yeah. Can, <laughs> I, or or we just got bitch slapped by an eldritch god. Right. I was like flick. <laughs> I'm sick of your shit. Yeah. But but the idea that like a, an asteroid came into our atmosphere, exploded, it caused the like um the the sort of air pressure in that explosion that would have leveled an entire area of the Siberia and then just continued through and went back out to space and left nothing behind. That is the leading most recent study. Isn't there also a particle physics one where like the particle just plummeted through Earth and it left destruction in its wake, but it was just a little tiny guy just a, I had no a baby scientific of a baby. research that supported that, but uh, there were so many things. God, I sound like an absolute. Oh, yeah. No, you don't <sighs> sound like it, – it, it sounds like because there's research – I don't know if you guys – how much you know about dark matter. Yes, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Thank <laughs> it's you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like they're, the theory based on people who don't know much about dark matter, which honestly no one knows Nobody knows much that much, yeah. But – I could see someone being like, well, what if a particle of dark matter, antimatter, collided with a particle of positive, you know, R matter, and then, like, I could see someone. But <laughs> 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 it was not clear. In scientific terms. Mass destruction. Exactly. In exactly. science terms. <laughs> <laughs> you get me. <laughs> well, and, and what's what's interesting is that, like, it would have had to occur so high up. Yeah. That because even if you explode something on the ground, uh, like if it collided with the earth, it would have left a crater because mm-hmm. the explosion size would have caused just like the air would have caused the displacement of mm-hmm. not even like the mm-hmm. impact, but like just the explosion, the air from the explosion. Right. So this had to have occurred high enough up that it did not leave a crater. It just flattened everything That's that was so there cool. available on the surface. I'm sure it's it did so cool. push, you know, some sort of sediment left and right from the center, but it didn't it wasn't like the way that we would normally think of an impact. You know, it's so funny the science here is so interesting and engaging, but if we're imagining us much further back in history, I I'm a, I feel a little bit detached from the science cuz I'm like in the community in our little village that's not my job. It's my job to sit around by the fire and tell you the absolute scariest possible version of this story so that you're a little nicer to your neighbor. And it's like someone right. else's <laughs> job to deal with the reality. Yeah, we all play a part. <laughs> <laughs> it was caused by like some you know, farmer being uh, uh, stealing radishes from yeah. another farmer's farm, and mm-hmm. then and then the explosion occurred, right? Like, yeah, that's... and then the gods got mad, and then the explosion yeah, occurred. Exactly. But yeah, it was the leveling of someone's home, a hundred percent. Like, I'm over here yeah. talking about the tentacle god, and someone else is like, actually, as long as our planet doesn't go near that other celestial body again, we're probably fine. Like, shut up, you're messing up the vibe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's me she's yelling at as I'm sitting there whispering science facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You could never ruin the vibe. You are the vibe. 
I know it was a goof joke, but oh my god, that's gonna sustain me for like at least a full week. <laughs> Good. Ah, oh, Rowan is the best at compliments. <laughs> uh, well, because of the remoteness of Siberia, as we sort of talked about, um, it is very difficult to study the Tunguska event, and it is ultimately unlikely that we will ever know what caused it, which only makes the lore more uh, oh, grow in in the telling yeah. right like that is the that is the whole since 1908 when it happened i can only imagine the stories that have emerged and um especially because it is so remote as the main yeah. characters of this investigative tv show we must go to siberia <laughs> to find <laughs> absolutely the aliens yeah. in the ice and support the show on Patreon. <laughs> Arctic exploration. So we can go to Siberia. Yeah, this is the Arctic exploration tier. I wonder, yeah, I wonder how, I wonder what is left from that. Right? I wonder if like there's still I wonder if everything is recovered from that or if there's still it, it, it's a single uh, – I mean, according to the rules of storytelling, it's got to be like a single speck of a virus that will wipe out all of oh, humanity. no. Right, yes. right. You yeah, know, messing with things that we should not be messing with. Uh-huh. Where if we just left it alone, it would have been fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But something, that, something cubers of man. Mm-hmm. More, so help mm-hmm. me. <laughs> well, as my story this week, instead of – uh, writing a full narrative about some sort of horrific uh, act of God, um, I instead just made a little mini game for us to play. <laughs> I'm so excited! Spencer came over to my apartment and delivered a plastic container filled with sand. I did. I don't know. Here, so I'll, I'll, let me jump in and say, here's exactly as much as I know about what Spencer has done this week. He made a game. And it involves a a plastic container of sand. I believe maybe digging. End of what I know. I can't wait to learn. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to send you the doc here that is <laughs> being so to play. <laughs> All right, where are you sending it? I'm sending it to your email. <laughs> I have it open. So, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> Tracy, do you want to read the first paragraph? Oh, I would love to. <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't contain myself. We are a group of archaeologists excavating the ancient civilization that once existed in the place we're from. Though there was a terrible calamity that buried them long ago, the ruins we've uncovered are preserved far better than any we've explored before, and they promise new insight into the people that lived here. First, decide what we will call this ancient place. And then there are options. Oh, there are options. Rowan, do you want to choose which one? <laughs> I like Damathen. Damathen. D-A-M-A-T-H-E-N. Because it, it, you know, it allures to the, the cataclysmic event. This place was damned. damned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my love, I also would have chosen Damathen. So I just need you to know that we are uh, in heart, mind, and soul <laughs> connected. I know you. So good. <laughs> Then we're going to identify the three primary things this society was known for. Uh, so we're each going to choose one. Does anybody have one that jumps out to them? Something about isolationist with a city that got destroyed. It's giving Atlantis a little bit. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so we're going to go isolationist? I, yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm choosing, I mean, to the surprise of yep. no one. 
scholarly <laughs> pursuits. Ooh, you know when you are pursuits. in a situation with your best friend and you're offered a choice and you have to make the choice first, but you actually just make the choice so that your friend can have the thing that they want? <laughs> scholarly pursuits. I love you very much. <laughs> I love you. What do I want to choose next? Um, I think I'm going to go social hierarchy. Ooh, we love some social stratification. The, like, there's some stratification. Yep, 100%, mm -hmm. just so that mm -hmm. we have some mm -hmm. of that. So they're isolationists. There's a social, uh, uh, a very clear social hierarchy. And the thing that they were also known for was their scholarly pursuits. Our excavation so far has turned up that this civilization also seemed to place extra value on three of these. Again, we're each going to choose one of them. Oh, gosh, darn it. As for, for, the, for the audience who's listening, the options here are things like bells, mirrors, a The options here color. are mean because they're so incredible and I want all of them. <laughs> uh, celestial bodies, alchemy, uh, mirrors is so good. Um... It's the so human good. brain is cool if it's the human brain as an object, not the human brain as a tool. Like, what's that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Well, let's do... Do you want me to choose first no, or choose do you want to choose first. first? No, you choose Choose anything you want. I want you to choose literally anything <laughs> okay. you want. I got to choose not old fair, right? Like, I can't just... Okay. Sure. So then I'm going to choose... For anyone confused, old fair is from the game Candela Obscura. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to choose Celestial Bodies. Ooh, so cool. I, that's why I wanted you to go first, because I was like, I, if Rowan doesn't choose it, that's what I'm choosing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, uh, okay, all right. Um, I'm going to go Architecture. I am going to go Old Fair. We're, we're going Architecture. Unique, it's Unique Architecture. Spencer, I would mm -hmm. bet $100 mm -hmm. that I know exactly where you're going to choose. I'm... It's gonna I'm be such a bummer if gonna, I lose a hundred dollars today. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick mine too. I'm gonna pick mine. Okay. That I think Spencer's gonna choose. Okay. And we'll see if. Uh, okay. Go uh, ahead. And, go ahead and read bold, Go ahead and bold unique architecture, just so that we know that that's the one we chose. Yeah, I got. I got you. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make a choice. It's kind of left field, so it probably will. No, that doesn't. <laughs> well, no, but one that I'm really interested in, which is bells. Okay. Okay. I just lost $100 today because I truly would have assumed you would choose bones because whenever we encounter the word bones, you go, bones. I was I was playing with lifelike statues. I was playing with mosaic, which I also think is interesting. Um, or My guess was statues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But bells is, is something interesting because there's the sound. Like if we were to go down into there and we're hearing like when we open up oh. these passages for the first time and we hear that now the ringing of those bells is coming from wind passing over them for the first Combined time. Combined with unique uh -huh, architecture, you yep. can build the mm -hmm. architecture to fit the bells exactly. and they tell a story. Ooh. And then you got the, the iconography of celestial bodies. Well, Correct. the bells have to be hung in a specific formation, Correct. of course, to align with the stars. This is Obviously. This is and then if doing. the wind affects the bells, then it speaks to the prophecy or, you know, what's it's supposed to happen. It's the God speaking to us. Mm -hmm. That's how we mm -hmm. listen to them. Uh -huh. If anyone ever wondered what it was like making a game with us, <laughs> this is exactly what it was like. Okay, so we're ready to begin our dig. Whenever we excavate a die, we answer the question that die corresponds with in the tables below, then mark a number of X's from left to right equal to the dice's value in the table. So we have a little table that has yeah. four, um, four uh, rows um, and... Uh, then there's a the, the very last column on that row is red. So if we ever uh, when we hit the red 
area of the column, then we ask the next milestone question to the table. Okay. And, and we answer that one collectively. So essentially, so, we're excavating dice individually mm -hmm. and answering the question. And then once we reach the red square, we also ask the milestone question and answer that as a group. Are we going across horizontally, we square are going by square? Across. Okay. Um, so I have the sandbox. <laughs> It's my yeah. job so, to excavate. The, there is a sandbox that you have. It's about, what would you say? Like the. It's the length of my hand uh, on all sides <laughs> from middle finger to end of palm. So what's like and, just under a foot? Yeah. And then it's. Uh, How, just under a foot? How I'm big sorry, are your hands? I'm sorry. I don't know. I just panicked like, and thought about how feet are supposed to be a foot for that one king. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> yes. It's probably like eight, like eight inches by eight, eight inches. inches. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Your hands are bigger than mine, it so is, that makes sense. It is completely filled with sand. And within there are a bunch of dice that are hidden by the sand that have colors. And whatever, when you're, Rowan, since you have the boxes, you're excavating, uh, you're going to pull them for us. If we're all collectively in the same room, obviously, we'd pass mm -hmm. it around and excavate ourselves. But you'll see that there is usually a number that shows up that it is favoring. I'm going to use my giant hands to excavate the dice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Long. You have beautiful. I draw hands inspired. Sorry, tangent. I draw hands. Fun fact for anyone wonders. Inspired by Rowan's hands. Every time you see hand drawings that I do, they're inspired by fa the fact that Rowan has really long fingers that taper at the end that I think are very beautiful. That's true love. So I'm not making fun of your hands. I think they're perfect and I love them. I love you. I love you too. You want to pick a die? Yeah. Can I? I'll investigate. Ooh, the first one. Oh, this is so satisfying. Oh my god. Oh. Can you describe the experience for me? What does it feel like digging into the sand? It's, it's what, what's giving in elementary school. It's giving Egyptology. It's so satisfying. Once when I was a very little kid, um, I was at some like museum in Salem and there was a, a display that was like a pirate standing and there yeah. was sand all yeah. around. She's standing with one arm held up yes. over her head. Like it's got a sword it's in it. It's giving Treasure <laughs> Island, right? Uh, but there was uh, uh, sand all at his feet. And so my my dad put a quarter and like a bunch of change in the sand. I was like, Rowan, like, it's a pirate standing on treasure. You should dig. And told me where to dig. And I found change. And then all the other children saw that I found change and went feral. And all the other parents looked at my dad like, what did you just do? <laughs> Incredible. So it's a three, a green three. Okay, great. And as green the other, the three. only other direction here is as you're answering these questions, finding one of the uh, uh, values or... Um, uh, the primary things society was known for or the uh, extra value that the civilization held, trying to integrate one or more of those into the answer is uh, as always yeah, great. Yeah, makes sense. Um, green, great. Green in three. Mm-hmm. You uncover a place in the city where people would gather. What is the centerpiece of the plaza? And why does it make sense given what they valued? Trace, do you want to go first? Because... I have an okay. idea. Okay, yeah. yeah. Something something weirdly like instantly popped into my mind as an image. Um, so I'm imagining this the center plaza is this really, really tall stone structure that was actually built. Think of like a double helix, mm. um, like DNA. Mm. And in between all the strands are different shapes, size, and colors of bells <gasps> that circle the whole way down. 
And when different bells are rung, it means different things. And if there, there's, there's strings that connect in, but when there's no one pulling the strings and the bells are ringing, it's a sign that the gods are talking to you and everyone has to stop and listen. Oh. And then it's up to certain scholars to interpret what it means. Like the average person can't always interpret what it means. The scholars are the ones who, who can really interpret it. Mm. So it's up to everyone to record what they hear so they can hear the messages from the gods, but the scholars are the ones who interpret it. And it's at this double helix statue that's at the center of the plaza in the well, center of the city. Of course, those so who can cool. interpret what the gods say have all the power. Right. Yes, they do. <laughs> Ergo, hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, good. I'll get us another die. This is, it's like if Icarus and For the Queen had a love child. Had baby. Yep. Uh-huh. I kid you not, it's a green number three again. <laughs> it's a green number three again. Okay. That's okay. So uh, so we go to green and uh, the directions say when you answer a question, cross it out. If anyone mm-hmm. excavates the same value on the same color die, they instead roll the die they excavated and add that new value to its ex- excavated What are the value. X's for? Oh, clever. So we mark off the X's. So you see we marked three X's in the in the uh, row mm-hmm. here because the value was a three. Oh, wow. Okay, three. so there's not actually that many opportunities to answer questions. No. Okay, so I'll – Yeah, it's pretty short. I kept it pretty short for this because I didn't want us to go like two and a half hours playing this game. Right. So uh, <laughs> it was a number five on the rolls, so that five plus three is eight. Great. So that's eight. So go down to green eight uh, and ask that question. And I'll mark you it. made a split second decision during a dig that you fear was the wrong one. What did you do and how did it go badly? Spencer, do you want to answer? No, you should answer. Okay. Uh, during the dig, the, the dig previous to this, I was the newest member of the team. I uh, was previously an academic so I had a lot to prove because if you're an academic, you got soft hands mm-hmm. and you're easily made fun of. And when Famously. we were excavating, I was trying to kind of fit in with the like light, jovial sort of mocking atmosphere that sometimes happens when people are tired and overworked. And we mm-hmm. uncovered in my sort of foot by foot square that I was working on an ancient, rusted like pitted bell dug into the dirt. (gasps) And I was wearing gloves, so I thought it was okay. I picked it up and I Uh rang it like a dinner bell. You fool. You fool. You utter fool. And uh, one of the senior uh, archaeologists sprinted across the space and grabbed it from my hands and I was mm-hmm. kicked off the site and actually my university had to say, we're giving a lot of money to this. You have to let them back. And since then, strange occurrences have been happening at night. Yeah. To you or at the site? At the site. Oh, yes. So good. It's so good. It's so, so good. <laughs> Okay, okay. Uh, Spencer, this one's for you. Yes. Which one did you uncover? It is a... Ooh, this dice is really pretty. <laughs> it's a blue number six. Blue six? Okay. Are these based on themes? Do the different colors have themes? They do. <gasps> so Tell us about it. We're filling six spots. Three, four, five, Oh, yeah, so six. we got to a milestone and we get question, a milestone. Right? So I'm going to answer my question, and then we'll answer the first milestone question. Okay. So... Uh, you stumble upon an ancient book that you can barely translate. What words can you read? And what about them resonates with you? 
I think that we've been having strange experiences in the night mm. ever since that bell rang. And the the language that the ancient book is written in is a dialect that is not the one of the people that lived here. It is the same language, but it's not the same dialect Ooh. in that like it, it and we know there were isolationists. So somebody mm -hmm. came from somewhere else with a similar language, maybe a, a place that was uh, had the same origin, but was not of, uh, sorry, drawing blank on Damathen was not this. It was not from Damathen. Yeah. Um, and was writing about the way in which they would discover some of the buildings in the night would not be in the same formation as they were like the previous day or when they came back to visit. Mm. And they Ooh. were privileged in being able to facilitate the only trade that happened with Damathen, um, and the only record outside Damathen, but that they had come back and the entire city was like in a different formation than it was previously. The only thing that was the same was uh, that they recognized after being away for a couple of months was that the uh, the statue in the center, the double helix in the center with the bells was still in the center and everything else had shifted and theorized the, the theory that this person was giving was that they were um, uh was that the movement was similar to that of the planets. Mm. Like the planetary oh, structure so of the cool. city was shifting, but there was, there were no like track. There was no like the, 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 the buildings were not spinning or were not designed to move. So however they were moving, there was no explanation for it. And they just suddenly changed. And now in the night we're feeling shifting in the ground beneath us and we're experiencing strange sounds. And these are, uh, these are recorded also in this person that uh, I'm going to name them. Their name was, um, uh, Bavatone, uh, uh, the scholar Bavatone or the, the, uh, I don't know if they were a trader or merchant. Um, I think they were probably somebody who, I think they're probably somebody who traded knowledge. Actually, that was the thing that Damathen, mm. Most highly regarded. That makes sense. So they That's were why they would let them in. Yes, they were essentially like a, a scholar, but a trader uh, of of info. And so, anyway, they were uh, uh, Bavatone was recording the sounds and the um, and the, the shaking of the earth. What are you called um, if you're a spy but you're not a secret? Because spies just trade knowledge. A diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um. Okay. So we have our first milestone. Mm. Um, and Tracy, I think this is actually going to go to you because of your uh, previous – or no, it's collectively. It's collectively. It's collective, right? Yeah. So okay. the architecture here seems to be a combination of two different styles. What unique look does this place have? <laughs> so what two, <laughs> two different, different architectural styles. styles sort of mash together in this? Okay. Well, what we're not going to do is brutalism <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Art Nouveau and Art Deco. <laughs> sure. Which, for those who don't know, is the difference in styles between old fair and new fair yeah. in the game Candela Obscura. <laughs> okay, can I make a pitch? What are we yeah, 
Always, yes. This is not so much a a style of architecture by name as like a big choice of a thing that they do, which is that all of their buildings and structures look like specific animals. Like they, some of them have feet, like underneath them, and there are big mouths opening up into pillars, and like the doors might be giant eyes Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. mouths and kind of like teeth everywhere. I want to add on to that since I mentioned the stone uh, double helix pillar, which I would love to come up with a cool name for. I imagine that there's a lot of different types of stone. And so all of these buildings of different animals are vaguely colored. Maybe it's white or black marble or, God, I wish I knew any stones, limestone, Mm -hmm. you know, other colors. (laughs) I I just imagine (laughs) instead of paint, it's the actual stone itself that makes up some different blocks of colors. Red clay stone, Mm -hmm. right? Like to Mm -hmm. get that red look. That's really cool. I imagine there's also like some sort of um, precious stone that is used to decorate some of these. Yes, uh, that that is still and and was not. It, it does not appear as though the precious stone was moved in order to do this. It's like it is the eye of this creature, but the entire creature's, uh, the entire animals like look was formed around the fact that they excavated a an amethyst in mm-hmm. that area of the stone. And so out of that, like they form the the shape of the creature around that eye. Yeah. The creature comes from the environment, right. not the the minds of the people who have decided they're gonna build a exactly. rooster here. I think our double helix statue is called the Geminate. A Geminate is a double or repeat in speech or sound. It is consisting of identical adjacent speech sounds. So it's that double helix in sound. Oh, so good. Oh, I love it. Wait, I'm writing that down. There's also a building, and I'm, I'm trying to remember what it, what it is, but it was uh, being excavated. I just saw a video about it that is entirely a, that is essentially an entire like palace that was carved out of a single stone. Mm. <gasps> I love and the so I love thought. the idea that this place was all carved out of a single stone. Mm. I also want to just throw in there because I think it's so cool. I want the level of intricate detail of Anchor Wat. I mean, oh, just yeah. this unimaginable skill. Yeah. All right. We picked not right. a single architectural style, but boy did we make one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did we did the spirit of that. We did the spirit of the yeah. uh, of the thing. So our next excavated die is orange. And it's a okay. number one. Ooh, first orange. It's a, a orange number one. one. Great. Let's go to orange. And Tracy, I think this is you. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> you know what my first instinct is. Uh, go ahead and read the question so that people know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You find preserved human remains left behind in a unique position. What were they clearly doing when they died? And how does that impact the way you imagine the disaster here occurred? My first instinct, and I hope... Everyone had the same first instinct is the man who looked like he died masturbating in Pompeii. <laughs> of course. In this case, we will go beyond our first instinct. Uh, <laughs> tempting as though it may be. Um, find human remains left behind in a unique position. I want to find mm. 
someone, not just one person, a whole group of uh, scholars Hmm. and different parts of them have been like dismembered. I mean, clearly it was an attack. The clothes, if Mm. we even find them, ragged. But they're all laying on the ground and every single one of them is reaching out towards the same statue. What's it a statue of? It is a statue of the figure that they have created around mythology for their North Star. Mm. So their main navigational body, they created a mythology around it of a, where we have the the Big Dipper, the bear theme mythology. For them, it's Mm. Phoenix. It's rising up every day. It, It bursts to life at night and then dies during the day and then comes back at night. And they all have their specifically right arms reaching towards this statue. <sighs> are they mummified? How do, are, do they still have their skin or are they bones? Oh, 100%. Skill ha- still have skin and weirdly, they're, they're, I'm going to say their clothes are preserved in the state in which they were attacked. <sighs> like it almost looks like an animal attack or something came at them. And it's frozen in time like but it's in a mummified way like things didn't preserve perfectly someone clearly tried something or someone tried to preserve these (sighs) and didn't do a great job but didn't do the worst job so good so good the next one is an orange number four you've noticed a common burial procedure or death practice in your excavation what is it and what purpose do you think it served is this me Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. So, so we're in our society, we bury people underground in crypts. Mm-hmm. The cemeteries, or maybe tombs is a better word here, would be in massive buildings and Ooh. Ooh. hanging from the ceilings, they would have people in the position of the hanged man on tarot, so hanging by one foot. Uh-huh with that kind of four shape made out of their legs, hanging upside down it and looking up almost like bats. And <gasps> well, I love it. I'm on board. And they would be in these kind of open air structures. So there was a ceiling and there was at least four pillars, but the walls of these were open air, almost like markets. And to enter the city, you have to, from any direction, you have to go through one of these massive buildings. And they are varying degrees of crowded with bodies. And it is suspected now that the way that the wind affected these bodies would also have an impact on how people operated. Uh, and the way things fell from them. Oh, that's so cool. Just little people wind chimes. Yeah. I say uh, there's there's bells attached to them and that's is did I, I miss that. I, I would say there's not bells attached to them, but they were adorned in various metals. Their their clothing <gasps> mm-hmm. and different the it's jewelry so would hang because the idea them. of a bell being too sacred, so you'd have metallic objects to mimic mm-hmm. the sound, but it's not the sacred gods talking to you. It's just the way that we represent it. Ah, can I make delicious. a pitch? Too? Yeah, get in there. The Please. oldest bodies, the oldest bodies are 
just bone. So it's the bones clattering yeah. in the areas where the oldest bones A hundred percent. And I think the things that would fall down from the bodies would also speak to what was going on in their culture. Right. Yeah. So cool. Oh, I love this. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next one. Do our next ex- excavation. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm digging, I'm digging. I have a green number two. Do we do that one? No. Okay. I agree, number two. You keep finding a common item that must have been used often by the people here. What is it and why is it unusual? Mm. Mm. Okay, I think that the thing that we find to stay on the topic of bells is um, that uh, the that when people are outdoors, like outside of their homes, they were required to carry a bell but it had to have no tongue oh <sighs> like you like it was a good. sign of like who you know your mm-hmm. your prominence to carry the bell like you would have small bells or larger bells um and i think that the smaller your bell was the more rich you were considered so the people that were the mm. poorest had to carry these large bells upon their back mm, as they were walking labor. through the towns and that was like seen as being that's how you knew who what if you were rich you just had to carry a little one and it was just maybe on your lapel or something but none of them had tongues and none of them were allowed to you were allowed to ring the bell yourself uh, is sort of a leading theory yeah that like the wind had to ring the bell could you earn through carrying this bell around or doing something the opportunity to have a smaller bell i think that there's a lot of history that that is unfounded in the research that you could because human humanity wants to see that people can sort of yeah. move their way up stratification. But I think everything that I've found in particular says no, that you were born with the bell and you die with the bell. Ah. Um, and that is one of the things that I think is, is most difficult for us in thinking about the society that there was that that stratification existed and there was really no good way out of it. Mm. What what decides the bell that you are born with? Is it like financial? Is it family status? Is it just you? you the gods give you a bell when you're know. born? And- I don't think we know. I think from the history, uh-huh. we don't know why people were given certain sizes. We don't mm-hmm. know. It didn't seem to be familial. So families could have a varying degree of sizes within there. Yeah. Okay. Like there were, there, you know, Ooh, there's two, so two parents with a child and the two parents have these huge bells and the child has like a tiny one. And when we first uncovered that, we thought that it just depended on like the size of the person, the <laughs> bell that you had or the age of the person. But that w- was immediately, as we started excavating, immediately thrown out the window because yeah. there were children, there were children found crushed by the bells <sighs> and there were, you know, old uh, like uh, elders that were carrying tiny bells and we we're like okay there's some other sort of thing here mm. but none of them had the tongues to make them ring i imagine and and you know if you guys are like ah i don't know about this uh, the idea of scholars we talk about scholars yeah. being like very precious so i don't know if you know what a chatelaine is and yeah. rowan does but it's it's uh, basically like think of a, a thing you can attach to your your waist or your belt or your um, commonly worn by women. Uh, 
Yes. In in the 15, 17, 1800, like it was a way for like a seamstress on her chatelaine, which would be on her belt, would have sewing needles mm. and sewing supplies Actually, and scissors. You know how women never have pockets? Yeah. It's literally a fancy pocket. A fancy outside pocket. Amazing. An outside pocket. <laughs> uh, that things dangle from. And I imagine scholars would have a chatelaine <sighs> with their scholarly tools that proudly display displays Ooh, their bell. That bell. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay. So the next one was a blue six again. Um, so I'm going to roll uh, so it. So let me mark. I have to actually mark these two, which means that we hit another milestone oh, okay. question before we do the blue six. So let's jump down. And do the next milestone Ooh. question. From your time excavating here, you realize people of this civilization also valued, and then you choose one you didn't choose before. Mm -hmm. So from our work so far, what do we think we want to add? We could do something obvious like intricate jewelry, which we've talked no, about. No, we did. We, we can I have jewelry anyway. Was, yeah. What about time? Because sound is, oh. is art made of time. I love that. Hmm? Let's do time. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. What do you mean sound is made oh, of time? Like music is the art that we write in time is what I should Ooh. have said. Uh, and, okay. and I think also the idea that like even when we we're talking about the, the Tunguska event, like the explosion took 10 minutes to get yeah. to you. So like there is this, this idea of time and how it affects the way – and celestial bodies are a way to track time. Well, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was like, it makes sense with what we talked about with if you're tracking the celestial bodies, nighttime is going to be really important and where things are happening at what time. You know, we talked about when the bells ring and I'm like, good choice. Good choice. I love this. Yeah. Good choice. Okay. <laughs> so that's our number two. Now we do a blue number six. Okay. So I got a blue six, but we had already done that. So I rerolled it and Great. I got a four. And Tracy, this is so good. Well, this actually, is Spencer, you, this is so good. But Tracy now gets to, <laughs> oh, Read it, read it. Okay. You find evidence that supports something you only thought was a myth until now. What is it and what does it teach you? <sighs> I, the, the problem is I could go a few different directions with this. So go which way am I going to go? the most fucked up one. Fuck it up, <laughs> buttercup. <laughs> okay, okay. Or, you know, let these people live happily. I don't know. No, they're not going to live happily. They're, they're definitely not. Um, <laughs> not in our story. So... <laughs> we established that the there is a phoenix that represents their north star that is kind of their their main deity it represents the fact that they can always die and be reborn but in the mythology it is in a constant battle and the reason why it dies every night is it's overtaken by another creature that comes from below oh. the earth and and bursts out during the day and they are in a forever battle of the the phoenix trying to protect at night and this creature trying to destroy during the day and they are real and that is what we have discovered is these aren't just mythological story beings these are real creatures that are in this world mm. and they come up from beneath the they come up and down the phoenix oh, is above shit. The creatures below, our beautiful civilization is sandwiched in between their epic battle. And we and so what do we so we see like a we see like a winged creature trapped here in the city with us, and then we feel like the the sediment sort of 
below our feet and we watch as mm-hmm. like there's in the distance there's like some sort of battle between <sighs> them. Absolutely. And and the movements from both, both the wind from the, the bird flying mm-hmm. and the creature underneath rattles <sighs> and causes the bells to chime. Yeah. And that is part oh, of how like the story a is warning. told. <sighs> yeah, it's uh-huh. a warning that they're coming. Oh, it's so good. So good. Okay, that's our blue. That's our blue ten. Things are getting crazy. Okay, okay, okay. I gotta dig a little. Sorry, I, I, I dig was transfixed. <laughs> oh no, I got a green number three. So we already did that. So let me re-roll it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I got a three and a six, which is a nine. Uh-huh. Um, you encounter something alive down here. What is it? And how do you handle it? Well, sounds like we got teed up for that one perfectly. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when the cards speak, the dice speak, all of that. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. We, yeah. We call them story dice. Whenever we're like story dice, uh-huh. they're deciding, not us. Interesting. Encounter something alive. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go a different way. Yeah, do it. Um, I love it. And down here, we found these, hmm, these plants that grow mm. in and around the bodies that hang from the ceiling. Oh, and they yeah. clearly don't need light or a lot of light because we are right. underground. And they are so deeply entwined in the bodies that when we first realize that these plants are still alive, it is because we're trying to remove them from the bodies thinking they also must be dead. And then the vines tighten around the bones. <gasps> And we have learned in examining these plants more closely that what we originally thought were kind of like hairs coming off the vines are actually tiny little like arms, little that move almost like an anemone, but really, really little. And they burrow into the bones. So they're almost like pitted and they hold on to them and uh, they flower. I was going to ask what they look like, so that's good to know. They they they're they're green vines, uh, but they f- they flower and they have these blazing red blooms. Mm. <sighs> yeah, and the flowers tend to bloom in areas that the the blossom will be somewhat protected, so they bloom a lot out of the eyes and the mouths and the rib cages of the bodies. Yeah, they do. So good. yeah, they do. Yeah, they- <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> And we originally thought that aside from being attached to the bodies, they were fairly benign, but the group that was working with the vines and studying them, someone recently died, and when he fell to the ground, a little flower popped out of his mouth. Oh, so good. Oh, they're so good. (laughs) There's so many implications of like that. that's either like, you know, they're there to protect the dead they're there to like protect. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's so good. It's so good. 
Oh, shoot. I got to dig, dig again. again. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> yes. If we were all in the same place, we would all pass it around. It wouldn't be all on you. I'm so but... sorry. I got I got too into no, it. No, I love it. I understand. I understand. Oh, this one's going to be so good. Okay. Uh, this is an orange number five. An orange five. Okay. And it says, you find something you didn't think was supposed to be invented for at least a few hundred years after the fall of the society. What is it and how does it change the way you view them? So I'm marking five on our thing, which brings us to uh, our uh, next milestone question. And <sighs> we're answering number five. How does it change? What is it and how does it change the way you view them? Um, I'm looking back at what we what we chose. We chose time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of why, I, I, to explain myself, since this is a yeah. podcast where we talk about writing, that's kind of why I wanted to incorporate plants because plants are so tied to time. They move through time in a very different way than humans do because they're a lot yeah. slower. I don't know. So I think that the what we find is that there are similar plants to what we're growing in the on, on the body is not the same plant, but like a similar kind of style, like vine style thing that we thought was just overgrowth down mm-hmm. here. Um, mm-hmm. But it is, uh, it runs up the, um, it runs up the, sorry, what was the thing called the statue in the center of the, of the plot? The geminate. The geminate. Mm-hmm. So some vines run up the geminate. We see them running up the sides of the buildings and anywhere there are bells, uh, especially like large bells, the ones that we think are probably warning signs and also, you know, are in the wind that move in the wind that those vines sort of collect near the top. And what we discover as um, we're walking by with uh, our equipment is that um, the as somebody brings like their some sort of um, – uh, I think it's actually a compass, I think some sort of compass um, towards the towards a bundle of the vines that are running down the side of one of the buildings on the large collections of vines. The compass goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we trace it back um, uh, and as we do some tests, we realize that as the wind blows, it pushes the bells back and forth, which creates kinetic energy that is channeled Whoa. down the vines and actually used as a, um, and the, and the vines are uh, the inside that like white inside, uh, is a conduit. The outside is almost like rubber, so it insulates naturally insulates <gasps> electricity, and so they didn't know it at the time necessarily, but they yeah. were essentially getting kinetic power, small bits of kinetic electricity that was powering small things in their home like lights and um you know and fire like would light a fireplace or would uh light a stove all from these plants that were that were literally like cables cords that were running oh they had power but they didn't know that we don't think they knew right it was just naturally like the the plants would grow and then they would snip into a plant and they would light a fire based off of like you know they'd like cut the end off of a plant and then like uh-huh. bring some some kindling over to the plant and the plant would start a fire and they would place it into the fireplace or whatever it's so cool <sighs> so we thought it was overgrowth that had happened after but it actually was overgrowth that was there during the civilization. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, I imagine even some of it matches with the mapping of the celestial bodies oh, and yeah. all of that. Oh. 
Uh, okay, that brings us to our fourth milestone. A catastrophe forces your excavation to shut down for a few weeks. What happened? And what do the most superstitious among you think might be to blame? Oh, I blame Rowan ringing the bell. That's what I blame. <laughs> What's your role yeah. in this excavation, by the way? <laughs> the muscle. You're the tough guy? Yeah. You're you're protecting the people? You're not even digging? I protect, I attack. Absolutely, yeah. I No, no thoughts, head empty, only hit. Spencer, what's yours? Big brawn. <laughs> um... I think that I think that given what I've just discovered that I'm like a uh I study remains but also had a had a um like I study human remains but also have a biology background. Does that mean you were studying mm-hmm. the plants and the bodies? Mm, yeah, for sure. Goodbye. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Bye-bye. Uh I think it was somebody that I knew that died from it. Bummer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very superstitious, very like sketched out by everything happening around here. And I fully think that it's, I think we woke up something we shouldn't have woken so up. So what happened? What's the catastrophe? Oh, I have a pitch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we come down to, we come down a morning, like one of the mornings after getting some rest and the city has shifted and blocked off our entrance. It won't let us in? It looks like a cave in at first from far away, but the once we get up close, we realize that is a stone wall that has blocked our entrance. And as we start to dig around, we realize it is literally a massive building. So we just have to that wait? That has shifted in front of the entrance. Well, Wait for the city to let us back or, in or shift or, again? Or we have to dig a new entrance, right? Or whatever we have to do for a, a few weeks. I think we're I think we're doing both. I think we're probably trying yeah. to find a new entrance to the city. But we have to be careful, obviously, going down and wrecking stuff like we found a natural yeah. entrance before but now it's i would right say on. then if it stops right. us for a few weeks we're trying to find and dig our way into a new entrance and then one night it just shifts again yeah oh totally totally Oof. Did, was there anyone who was still in there that got shifted and stuck inside for sure for sure i think there were <sighs> probably some people doing the night shift that we were that we lost uh yeah they didn't live Oh, and they didn't, they didn't no. live not in a we starve from food way. They didn't live in a we found them and they were just smears on the wall way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the last image, the, the, the only remnant of them is one of their arms reaching towards the statue. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so good. But it's only their arm. It's only their arm. It's only their else arm. Yeah, yeah. Oh. The problem with playing these games with you guys is every time we do stuff like this, I get so emotionally attached <laughs> to whatever it is that we've created uh-huh. that it's then all I can think about. Oh my okay, that's really good. I love that. Good good teamwork. Okay, so the next one is blue. It's a six, but we've already done six, so I'm gonna roll. Great. Mm-hmm. Roll. Oh, seven. It's you, Tracy. Great. Oh, look at this. Tracy, you might have been the one trapped Oh, no. You end up somewhere in these ruins alone. What did you find that you aren't going to tell the others? So big brawny babe that I am. So brawny, so babe. I Thank you. (laughs) So big. (laughs) Famously so. So one night, as we're trying to find our way in, I go and look because my attitude is we should not be forcing our way in. Mm. This city doesn't want us in and I'm not going to fight it. I'll fight anything but the city. And so I go off my own while everyone else is trying to dig because I'm like, 
This is not safe. I don't believe in this. And while I'm looking around, a wall shifts behind me and traps me in my own space. And what did you find that you aren't going to tell the others? What wouldn't I tell you? I find this device that almost looks like a battery. Mm. And it's connected to the vines. And I plug it in. And then this device sort of lights up with it, almost like a hologram, like something shimmering in front of me. And it shows the battle between the two creatures, the phoenix and the underground creature. But then it shows everything mm-hmm. being destroyed. The whole world, the city, the world, everything. And then the whole thing shuts down and powers itself off and is inert in my hands. And being so superstitious about this city and the events that took place that destroyed it, I don't share that with others because I'm afraid they're going to investigate it and then make it come true. Because my belief is that time is cyclical and that was what has happened will happen again. And I'm scared of seeing that event happen again. Dirty liar. So good. Gotta share it. (laughs) So the next one is an orange five, but we've already done that. (laughs) So please hold. So this is this is the 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 game design on this is that the higher the die value goes when it's finished rolling, the more intense the questions <laughs> get. So when you answer the lower questions, you're more. So it is it is literally designed in a way that like yeah we do get the lower ones a lot and we roll it more and that way we get higher on the list, but you don't get the more intense questions until you've already answered the lower questions. So now that is by design. That's not. That's yeah. so good. But also we've been getting high ones. I know. But you can't get a 10, right? Like you can't get a 10 unless you roll a six. Yeah. For then... clarity's sake, um, these are all D6. Yeah. These are all D6 dice. So uh, for those who aren't gamer nerds like us, um, that's a standard dice. Six sided oh, die. Yeah. It's a little cube. So I pulled a five. I rolled a six. 11, which is a good one. Given oh. everything we've talked about, <laughs> the dice have spoken, Spencer. You discover yes. people here kept track of time in a unique way. What is it, and how do you hypothesize it impacted the way they lived? And Rowan, that's on you. Okay, so the building that we are beginning to suspect was a repository of information, so may have held scrolls in a library but has rotted uh, and I think experienced a fire so we can't be quite sure uh there's a big wall in the back of it mm-hmm. that we have through hours and hours and hours of study from dozens and dozens of experts have figured out is a calendar but where we keep track of time moving forward they kept track of time counting down for generations yeah. Yeah, they of did. people, hundreds of years, they've been counting down. Mm-hmm. And initially, we were very surprised because it would have been the perfect story if by the time they reached this end of the calendar, the society would have collapsed. But it's very clear that the society collapsed sooner. Right. But one night, someone was leaving the the library as we're calling it 
to be kind of wrapped up for the day and they heard this like uh tink 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 like chipping sound and they turned around and another okay. day was marked down on the calendar <laughs> that's so good what the heck are they counting down towards and who's still counting yes <laughs> spencer this game is so good <laughs> well it we would have more uh the game would go on longer if we if we weren't doing a podcast we were trying to keep at length but because of, i know because of this we mark our <gasps> final we're leaving it on the, what are they counting down uh well, we have one more question, which is the final milestone question, Mm. which is as your excavation comes to an end, you all uncover one final relic that could change the way the history of this place is thought about forever. What is it? This is answered collectively. Yeah, what do we find? I have the beginnings of an idea, but I I think may only be a jumping off point. Okay, let's talk about it. Okay, okay, great. Love it. But if this society is so obsessed with bells... What happens if they have a giant sculpture of a bell that doesn't have a tongue, but definitely has a place to attach one? And there's lore surrounding this, like, unrung bell. It says, never rung. It will not. It cannot. Yeah. Oh, well, I have, I have a thought that we find uh-huh. that we find the bell. We uncover this bell that has, um, unlike the people of the city who are buried who are not buried they are hu- they are hung like bells mm-hmm. from the ceiling this bell in reverse is buried into the earth not because of the whatever event happened here but because they buried it mm, so it cannot be wrong because it's full of dirt and right and the tongue has been separated and put yes. somewhere else across the city can i pitch something yeah can the tongue be the thing I found? Oh, yes, oh, 100%. Yeah. And so the the decoration on the outside of the bell shows the same sort of images that we saw of these two creatures mm-hmm. fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, the above, the heavens and the, and the demons uh, sort of in this, locked in this war. Oh, the outside of the bell is decorated in with in the phoenix and the tongue of the bell oh, is decorated yeah. with the yes. beast. Yes, I love that. From the below. beast from below is the name. The beast that's from it. Below. That's the name. Yeah. Done. <laughs> and um and they essentially like they buried this bell so that it could not be rung again is essentially what like the the warnings that we get. Yeah. Yeah. Um and we don't know why. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Done. With the unrung Done. bell. The unrung bell. Oh, the... How cool is we started with Rowan ringing a bell, uh-huh. and we're ending with the unrung bell. Uh-huh. I love it. <sighs> it's so cool. I am so obsessed. Spencer, this is so first game good. ever played on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the debut of the Dell. <laughs> it's you know, it was just put together based on all the research that we did. I was like, we can just write a little like game and do a little like exploration of our own city that fell. And obviously, I knew we were probably mm-hmm. going to put some sort of superstitious weird stuff into it there's some of those questions but there's so many questions we didn't ask and so many cool things that uh you know that i think if if we had if we had a full game session uh we could flush Mm -hmm. out but um but hopefully you had fun i feel like all of us writing together for so long is really evident (laughs) in how this game is played (laughs) absolutely Uh, that's why i love because i i love writing with you guys because that that's 
what writing with you feels like. I mean, it is that level of like, I have this idea and we pitch it and we're like, oh, what about this? And I learned about this one thing and we could do this. Well, that doesn't quite work. But if we twisted it to this way, like there's no ego about it. There's no hurting someone's feelings. <laughs> it's just pure joy and excitement for for sharing ideas together and creating something better than any one of us could create on our own. Yeah. Oh, That's the magic. Is, I, I'm so emotionally invested in this city <laughs> and in this world. I want. I wish I was good at, at landscape and background painting because I want to just paint, you know, the double helix yeah. of the the geminate <sighs> and the unrung bell buried and the mm -hmm. bodies hanging. And oh, what a cool game, so, Spencer! So fun. Well, I'm I'm so glad it was great job. Literally, just uh, you know, it's what it's the way that I love to express art and writing in the same way that you all yeah. write stories every week. So I'm glad that we had the chance to play. Wait, did Spencer just trick us into uh -huh, writing I a story? I didn't write one. I just had us write one. <laughs> Amazing. That was so good. I can't believe you designed a game. And and the giddiness with which you presented the box of sand to I me. I wish I could have seen that. There Children on Christmas morning don't even hold a candle to the excitement on Look, Spencer's Look, I literally space. went to like a Michael's and found sand in a box. And I was like, I wanted to do like an uncovering of uh, of some sort of like an excavation kind of feel. And I was like, what if I just literally get sand and then put dice yeah. in the sand and then and then put the then lock the box up and shake it so that all the yeah. dice are rolled and all the sand is thrown and then as you're digging through you're finding the finding the dice and what side they're on so it was just a fun little uh fun little adventure oh i had such a good time this was this the, was the best, best. Again. Uh, like we're gonna okay. play this game again cool. uh, oh, for absolutely sure. i'm gonna play this again and it, just playing games with you guys is one of my favorite things in the world to do so just so fun like this was great <laughs> tracy if you buy a box of sand and some colored dice you too can just have this game available in pennsylvania like you should do it this is true yeah oh i'm gonna do it are you kidding me absolutely <laughs> <laughs> Casey's like, we're yeah, doing uh -huh. right now? And then she'll be so on board. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, you know, she'll make a character before anyone else even has any ideas thought out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Spencer, for being our not one, not two, but three episodes. Yes. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been so lovely having you here. Um, I think it's now our turn to, to turn it around. Rowan, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Can you tell us something good? Well, I'm going to stick with the theme. Okay. So it's Halloween weekend. Yes. No one knows, but Tracy's hair is green. <laughs> she is dressed as Beetlejuice halfway. I know. I know. If we if we release the video of us playing this game, then you'll you'll see my <laughs> my halfway to Beetlejuice costume for my party tonight. <laughs> but for Halloween weekend, a bunch of our friends in LA, Spencer's and my friends, are getting together at my place tomorrow night, and we're going to play 10 Candles. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I want to hear all about it. And I plan on crying. <laughs> I plan on being terrified. It's no lights. It's only it's only candles. And I have wanted to play this game for so, so mm -hmm. long and just have not been able to get a group together. And Spencer's going to run yeah. it for oh us. Oh, my God. Amazing. And it's – I can't imagine a more – Halloween activity and also to be honest and I do hate this but I am so tired this year and I want to uh, I'm not someone who's going to go out and dress up and go out to a a, a bar or anything mm -hmm. like that anyway and 
So if I'm not going to party, I just want to do spooky stuff. Yeah. But in my jammies. Always. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's the vibe of this album. So for those who don't know, Ten Candles is a game where it's a it's a game of tragic oh, yeah. horror. Thanks, Spencer. Where everybody's going to die by the end. It's just how it goes. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are... It's not it's an optional. Not, you will die. You, will, yeah. you are dead. Uh, and there are 10 candles set up on the table, 10 little tea light candles. Uh, and as bad things happen and as dice rolls go poorly, candles are extinguished. All the lights in the room are off. The only light that you have is the uh, are, are the are the candles on the table. You have um, these cool little like note cards that have different aspects of your character. And if you want to use them to re-roll your dice to hopefully succeed, then you can burn them to do that and so what happens is there's this moment of of uh brightness in the room as you burn this card and then you drop it in the in the bowl that's at the center of the table and literally burn them yeah you literally burn them and then and then so there's like this flash of light and that is your like little bit of hope that you have to be able to re-roll your dice and (sighs) um and then but as things happen the 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 candles are put out and then finally at the end of the game the 10th candle is put out and the story comes to an end Oh my god, that's so cool! And Stephen Dewey wrote yeah. the game, and it's brilliant, perfect, it's brilliant. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Please report back for everyone, yes. me and everyone else, about how that goes, and I, I can't wait to hear about it. Tracy, tell me something good. Okay, my something good is is two things. Uh, one, it, it, there are two shows really. It's just two shows that I love. Uh, one of them is Hell of a Boss, which you guys know I love. I, I made both Rowan and Spencer watch it while I was out there in L.A. Mm-hmm. And the newest season is so good, and it just like it's got so much heart. Like it's the haha silly demon show, except it's got so much heart, and the characters are so well fleshed out, and the story is so deep and intricate. And clearly, everyone working on this show loves it so much. Um, and so it's on YouTube for free. I just highly recommend it. It's not for kids. It's animated, but it is not appropriate for kids. So this the new season of Hell of a Boss. Um, and then also the new season of Our Flag Means Death just aired. So Our Flag Means Death is a show that was created by David Jenkins and Taika Waititi. And it is about the historical figure of Blackbeard and the gentleman pirate Steed Bonnet, who is played by Reese Darby. So good. So amazing. The second season is incredible. And both of these shows just do this thing that I love seeing in TV, which is it is they're both so queer. They're so they have trans characters, non-binary characters, queer relationships in all different forms. And it's not this like holier than now. Look at us. Look at it. It just is. It just is. It's stories Mm -hmm. about people. It's just stories about people. So the second season of Our Flag Means Death is just wrapped up. Beautiful. The, there's a character in there named Izzy Hands, who I love, but the second season also brought in a fictionalized version of Jing Shi, the pirate who was known as the Queen of the South China Seas. And they bring in a character that's like her, who's so nuanced and amazing. And they bring in Minnie Driver as Anne Bonnie as well. Whoa. That's so The amount good. of excitement I have about that casting is is it's not so good. proportionate to anything. The way... They turn Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed into anti, you know what, into a really fun caricature version of them. I'm not going to spoil it. They just, they do a really cute, fun, clever thing. It's just, again, so much love put into it. Uh, If you need something to watch, go watch Hell of a Boss on YouTube or Our Flag Means Death on HBO. If you have it available, both are amazing and wonderful and I love them very much and they brought me a lot of joy. So now... Spencer, 
It's your turn to tell us something good. Uh, my something good is is actually from a little bit ago, but uh, it I think is relevant to everything we've been doing here, which is that I'm so excited because we worked so hard on Candela and Rowan worked so hard on Candela uh, as a as a freelancer um, mm -hmm. and put everything into it even though like I was full-time at the company and so I was like yeah this is my job and I was like right. I recruited Rowan to come in and we worked our asses off and <laughs> uh and as of what maybe a month ago or a little more than that a little less than that oh <laughs> you are now Rowan is now full-time as a game designer mm -hmm. at Critical Role yes with us, at yeah Press with us. And well so earned, it's, truly well earned and deserved. It's something good because I before it was just me <laughs> and and freelancers, <Right. laughs> and uh, so to have Ron on the team full time is literally like the greatest gift. And um, and the fact that like we m we kind of met or got to know each other because of this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And so, and oh, and this podcast wow. was like one of the core reasons why. Yeah, you're right. Why when we were going to build mythology for candela i was like hey rowan you've done this a bunch you live here like come come in studio for a couple of weeks and you did and that kind of led yeah. to, to what happened and so um mm -hmm. so i am just so thankful that uh we had the opportunity to uh, bring honestly bring both of you in for candela and rowan for you to um now be on the team full-time with us because i think it's a testament to the kind of work that you all do it's the best. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny when we were we met at San Diego Comic Con Special Edition, and when people would ask me what I what I do, and I talked about our podcast. When people hear the word podcast, they just kind of they're often like they go, "Oh, oh you have a podcast, <laughs> you and everyone else." Okay, like, no, really, mm -hmm. there's there's quite a lot of episodes. Um, <laughs> and Spencer immediately leaned in, and that was such a, a cool moment it was the beginning of such a good friendship so yeah. to have you on at the beginning for orpheus and eurydice with me <laughs> when tracy couldn't mm -hmm. be there and now to have you back now that everyone's a friend and yes. you're my co-worker <laughs> <laughs> is just the best it yeah it it's feels unfair how much this podcast and work on candela has felt like summer camp for all of us getting together it's just a yeah. good time. No one should get to have as much fun as we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. It's just like, it, it's so great working with the two of you. You're delightful. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was out there, it'd be like, it was like 11 o'clock and I was like chipping away at something. And you're like, oh my God, please stop. Like, you know, we need to do this or this or that. Or like, or like Tracy, you were working all day. And I was just like, no, this is so fun. <laughs> like, you know, to like pry me away or I'm like, no. <laughs> I love it. The voices, this is amazing. The <laughs> so good. Well, I think we've done it, friends. The first yeah, game on Willing and Fable. we've done it. This is the first game on Willing and Fable. And thank you all so much for joining us. And remember that stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our logo is by Jamie Harrison, and our music is by Taylor Ash. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch, 
or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. I'm an ionosphere girly. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. tag yourself. I'm a magnet. Mag- mag- magnetosphere. Magnus- what is it? Magnosphere. Magnetosphere. Magnetosphere. Yeah. To you is whatever that word was. Herculaneum. <laughs> alternately. Excellent. Herculaneum. Yes. Uh, we each have. Okay, so now we're gonna show up with a T-shirt with the word we can't say. No, because it's like the so normal good. words for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, Herculaneum's a very fair one. My word was alternately. <laughs> <laughs>